Welcome to Go For Side Effects. I'm your host, Kevin Simon. You all know my co-host, John. John, how are you doing? We I'm got, doing well, thank you. We got Miss Tower back. Venus, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing well this evening. Okay. But like many other Gulf War veterans, you don't know what tomorrow will be like. That's right. I totally agree. We told y'all we'd bring her back in a month. I kept my word. We were back with you. Because at the end, we started getting fiery, and we started, like, getting into information. But let's get into what what you think about the PACT Act and compared to what y'all went through back in the early 90s. Okay. Uh, lesson learned going into the PACT Act was um, why did the PACT Act embrace veterans from Vietnam um, the operations in between Gulf War and Iraqi freedom and several operations after that. Well, they did because of the cancers. And if you look under the presumptions, the PACT Act now included cancers that was not included in the original presumptions for Vietnam vets. For the presumptions of Gulf War vets, they didn't include any cancers on the legislative first uh, thir 33 presumptive. And in the PACT Act, it's mostly um, um, different cancers. And there's only two issues that is non-cancerous, which is um, um, has to do with respiratory system and has to do with the GI tract. Okay, so I'm blessed at this point in my life I do not, I have not come up positive for any cancers. Although they keep trying to uh, scare me with cervical cancers. Uh, that's a bit abnormal, has been abnormal since the Gulf War, but it hasn't gotten into a stage to be uh, um, diagnosed as a stage one cancer of any type. Now, so I went to apply for the PACT Act and uh, because I didn't have any cancers, I only had these other two, respiratory and GI, to apply to. And uh, so I'm going like, it's kind of complicated just doing it straight over the internet, unless you're really a techie. But if that wasn't your field of expertise, it's a bit challenging. Yes, so I went to the same people. I went to when I put in my claim even then as a legislative aide um, lobbying in Washington, I was sponsored first by the Vietnam Vets of America. And they said, no, we're gonna stick by you. Uh, uh, you're not gonna get twisted like we did. We're going to tell Congress and VA that these are the illnesses that we have come back with. Okay. so. Um, now, after that, I go to uh, looking at the PACT Act my, with my DAV representative and said, I've had a number of different illnesses. Um, what can I apply for under the PACT Act? Well, problem is under the PACT Act, under uh, um, um, pulmonary respiration issues, there's only bronchitis. And um, so I said, of course, I've had bronchitis and I've had pneumonia. One tends to lead to the other. 
And he said, you can't do that. I'm saying, why? He says, because you got rated for asthma. So because I got rated for asthma, I can only do a supplemental to say this is secondary to asthma. Now I have bronchitis. Okay, well, I can't get it as a primary, so I we applied for it as a secondary. And then the other issue was um, um, under um, diarrhea, which I tried for um, when my Gulf War uh, um, uh, plane, um, I got a diagnosis of IBS. Now, that is the killer to this whole undiagnosed uh, um, rating scheme. As soon as a physician gives you a, a diagnosis of any of your illnesses, um, it's no longer diagnosed. So if they say your uh, diarrhea is due to IBS, you now have a diagnosis and you can't go after Gulf War claim. And that's what I learned going into the PACPAC. What I should have done when I went to my physician, I should have said, is this really just um, IBS or is it IBS-like? Because if I could have gotten to say, this is idiopathic. And idiopathic is a key word, which means it's not normal, but it's something like this other disease. And if I had that in my notes, instead of a specific diagnosis of, um, of um, hypotension, of, um, of IBS, of, uh, um, uh, of asthma, of um, endometriosis. As soon as I got those diagnoses, it killed my claim. If I had just guided my doctors, because they were lost. And 90 to 95, um, until those regulations had come out in Congress, until the regulations had been made for guidelines for VA uh, um, benefit adjudicators, it was just hit and miss. And I would have just asked my doctor to say, well, can you argue with me that it's not idiopathic? We don't know what caused it, it's something like this disorder. They probably would have said yes. But it all boils down to the terminology they're using. It's a terminology. And when you look at Gulf War studies, they are they are written likely, unlikely uh, um, is is their uh, um, how they measure things. So is it likely something happened to you or is it unlikely? And unlikely may answer legislative questions. It may answer uh, uh, um, all these lovely reports and studies they did, but it doesn't address how the adjudicators have to respond to you. So I could go, so now, I used to up with a report of, uh, of a study. And I said, I have these symptoms of this study. And they go, well, it's likely that these exposures did that to you. Now, the adjudicator looks in his hands and from what, how they're uh, directed, they don't go by likely or unlikely. They look for a word, a diagnosis. And if there's anything in there that's a written diagnosis and not 
idiopathic or unsure of diagnosis, the vet will not win the claim on that issue. Right. I, so, so, now, so go ahead, John. Go ahead, John. I was going to ask, well, I was going to ask. Venus, so a little bit, so our viewers have a little understanding if they perhaps missed the last time we were on. You were a legal, um, you're a legal, you were a legal aid when you're in, in the service, yes? I I came out of the Gulf War. I had been in 16 years. I had been trained as a medic. I had been a civilian EMT. I was a military laboratory technician. Uh, and then on the civilian side, I was still going to school for uh, um, environmental uh, law. So I saw pollution in the civilian sector and how it impacts civilians, okay, or how it affects farmers and how the law adjudicated that. Then you mix in my experiences in the military. When I went to the Gulf, I was looking for the dirt. I knew we were in a dirty environment. I knew it, we were getting too many shots at one time. When in history did, did the human organism get so many shots before deployment? You, the, the odds were just out there uh, uh, from studies from the VARES report on children that when they get multiple uh, vaccines in one period of time, they're more likely to develop other uh, um, problems. Okay, so this is... Is is nothing new when I went there, and of course, because I knew how dirty this environment is, I am trying to take care of myself. I am. I went into the Gulf War as an environmental paralegal. So my lawyer was an environmental lawyer, and I was his uh, paralegal assistant. Okay. Now, after a couple weeks uh, um, in theater. I got snatched up by somebody else and I ended up being a contract law uh, um, uh, legal assistant. Okay, that doesn't mean I stood in the building uh, or a, a hard structure at all. Now I'm going out forward to infantry units to supply uh, material and documents that had to get signed, uh, to hook up communication, sat satellite phones, so they could talk to the Pentagon on materials that we were using from foreign governments in the theater. So I was in a dirty environment. There were times I slept in a, I remember one thing was uh, um, a concrete sewer uh, uh, casting. And that was the only thing we had for cover. So I slept in that. That's because I'm traveling from point A to point B and the helicopter that was supposed to move me got reassigned to something else. So you just carry on. Um, um, my my uh, cohorts at that time, though it was very funny to introduce me to one of those sand spiders. No, 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 thank you. No, hell oh, no. Yeah. Hell Wait, no. Move over. And I look down at my foot. From my foot to my knee is the entire length of this camel spider. Hell no. Sitting on my knee. I'm looking, I said, well, first I thought it was plastic and it was dead. So I stared at it for a moment and people around me started running around. And I said, oh, it's just a toy. You guys aren't going, going to make me pee my pants. I, I said, no, look again, it's alive. So it moved. 
So, okay. So I looked around for uh, 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 a booklet on the ground and I gently nursed it off my foot. I said, I'm not going to upset you. But th that's what I was saying. Uh, um, there was another time um, talking about um, exposures to environmental chemicals in the air. Um, there was a chemical attack. Alarms were going off. I was hearing communication from the checks that they were saying there was positive uh, of um, chemicals in our environment. But guess what? I didn't have my mob suit. I didn't have my mob suit on me because my boss, a lawyer, said, oh, you don't need it. And you're going to go to point A to point B. And you don't need to carry any mob. I didn't have my weapon. Didn't have anything. And that day he wanted me to show up in civilian clothes. So I'm wearing jeans and, and a sweatshirt. Alarms are going off. And but what really upset me was when I got to where my uh, officers were at, they were locked in, in a bunker and they wouldn't open the door for me. They said, We're not going to get exposed. So I was locked out in the really? environment, breathing whatever was in the environment. So I was canary in the coal cage. They figured if I didn't fall over, they could come out. Well, I can tell you this, Venus. The first time that, because we, like in the Navy, because on a supply ship, they decide that the E3 and below uh, boats and mates was, you know, they're called Samus and Recruit and all that stuff. So I had to go stand watch, and it was a road that was probably about a mile down. There was a gate, and I stood with French and Britain and all them guys in France, and we were all standing out there. It was the first time in my life that, you know, they come over the loudspeakers, and they, they do the prayer real, real loud, the, uh, the, the thing real loud. I, mm -hmm. you, I was like, well, what the hell is that? All them guys were laughing at me. Mm -hmm. And they can all talk to each other, but my ass don't understand a word them son of a bitches are saying because I don't speak their language. Right. And then one of them was like, "That's that's a prayer." That's a call to prayer. Yeah, a, a call to prayer. But you know, being a nineteen-year-old kid, you have no idea what the hell that is. And then you go back to the ship, and then the guys are telling you, "Did you hear the ship alarm going off?" I mean, you you know, that's the you stuff, couldn't. right? People back and forth, you know, they kept saying it was false alarm. Most of the time, ours really went out, you know, went went off like three times out at sea. So, you know, all that stuff. But I want to jump forward to the VA again. Because the thing that you struck me is when you said about IBS and you were like, no, you know, because of the di diarrhea. I met half people that have diarrhea. I met half of them that are really constipated. But with me, in my records, in my discharge, it says digestive disorder. That was another word for IBS. So I filed on it. They denied me that. I'm not going to go back and ask for them to go back and 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 do anything. <laughs> And go ahead, John. Did you file your own? Did you file your own claims, Venus, or did you have somebody no. do them for you? Um, I had a DAV agent do it for me. 
because I, the people who first got an award of a Gulf War illness, they had used an agent. And at the adjudicators know when they're looking at your paperwork, whether you're doing it alone or whether you're being sponsored by an organization. Oh, that, that's, that, that's very true. And that's why I tell everybody, don't do it alone. Right. right. Okay, so. One, like we were talking earlier, you get you get a few words screwed up or you use a mis, mis, mis terminology, and you are just hosed. Right, exactly. You know? I mean, mine, because all because the word B12 wasn't put in there, I kept getting denied. Then finally, the VA guy called me and said, whoever's doing your claim, tell them just to put B12 deficiency and you'll get it approved. So I did. I got it approved. But that's the one thing that when I went to the kidney doctor, I went this Monday and she was like, we need to keep you at your EEFGR at six is 61. It's not going to go up. So we need to keep it where it's at. Let, let's don't go up. This was the first doctor that I literally, I mean, I love my neurologist, great guy. I, I, I love my, uh, my uh, general physician, whatever you call him. Primary care. Yeah, primary care. But this doctor was the first doctor that looked over at me and she asked me what war I was in. When I told her Desert Storm and have she heard about it, she goes, I am literally going through the books and I'm going to start looking at it because a lot of us have kidney diseases. Kidney disease is not just, you, you know, going into kidney failure like like they're saying I am. What it means is kidney stones, uh, blockage, uh, always getting. Inflammation. Yes, there's so much in the kidney disease, but a lot of us have it. And I I'm going to tell all y'all. When go ask when you get your blood work done, they don't do this. You got to ask for your EEFGR to be checked. It, it's it's important, especially if you have kidney stones, because she believes maybe the kidney stones. Because I told her, I said, well, I drink Dr Pepper, and she was like, how much you drink? I told her she's like, that's not going to affect it. I told her, okay, well, what if you have a couple of beers a week? That's not going to affect it. She said, what is Ever is affecting y'all's kidneys, there's a lot of us out there. And, but I was so impressed that she seemed like she cared, genuinely cared. I was in there an hour and a half, a hour and a half with a, with a doctor at the VA. That's a really long time. That's somebody who really is interested. But I, I, so I asked her this question Hmm? because I even asked my primary care. She said, are you a part of the PACT Act? I said, look, I was told I don't have to file on the PACT Act. So by my primary care, because everything I fall under already falls under go for illness. Have you ever heard? Have you heard of that, Venus? Well, um, I'm just saying it's not part of presumptives. Um, but. Some uh, adjudicators do recognize it, but like I said, it's kind of a hit and miss on that, and it shouldn't be. Right, and and I would say with anybody that has any cancer, file on it. Any cancer. Any cancer, yes. even if you're at a hundred percent, go file on it, because I'm right. telling each and every one of y'all, if you 
do not, when you die from that cancer, your spouse doesn't get any of your benefits. Right. Unless the elderly benefits, of course, your spouse gets. But I, I think to me, in the very beginning, I did think the PACT Act was a piece of shit. For, for us, for Desert Storm Vets. Mm-hmm. Uh, not for post-9-11, not for Camp Lejeune, but I, I understand the cancers. I'm glad the cancers are in there. But there should have been a whole lot more in the PACT Act that they wiped out. They should have never taken out sarin gas, mustard gas, anthrax shot, PT tabs, malaria, any of that stuff. But that's true. Right. And that's the problem that I have with the PACT Act. And even my freaking senator was high fiving on the freaking floor that he got pushed down. You, you know what? Don't wear them pins. I'm telling y'all, don't wear them pins with the American flag. Because if I run into you, my ass is going to say something to you. I promise you. But, you know, with that being said, I I think the thing that irks a lot of us, and maybe Venice, this is where I want to get your, your intel, is your VA doctor will tell you one thing. But if they, they write, tell you. Yeah, but they write down a different thing. That's true. And um, for many years, I think for the first 20 years, as soon as I left a VA appointment, whether it was in um, a CBOC clinic or it was at a medical center, on my way out, I would stop at release of information. And um, at that time, now they're trying to to do it electronically, but um, I still find it more efficient that I'm already at a facility to uh, sign a release to get a copy of my medical record uh, for that appointment because I'll forget later on. So that was my habit. I go into an appointment, then on my way out, I'd say I want a copy of my um, exam, my nursing notes from this day. And they say you'd have to sign a release. I signed the release for the day. And like three weeks later, paper copy would come. And technically, if you know a month that you were at a facility, you can ask for your for your nursing notes, your doctor's notes. Because actually, you get more information off the nursing notes than you do the doctor's notes. And it's also good if you did any medical tests, any urinalysis, any radiology, um, that you ask for a copy of that too. And radiology, um, um, radiology PET scans. Uh, um, um, uh, I'm trying to think. Um, there's been spec uh, scans, CAT scans, MRIs. Now they send it to you on a CD. Yeah. And uh, um, which makes no sense because everybody's taking the CDs, putting it in the computer, <laughs> turning it into a thumb drive and just have that. But they sent me out, uh, out just the other day, another CD. So they haven't used them up, I guess. But that's what you need. Also, I found out in applying for the PACT Act, I had completed the Gulf War registry when I was um working in DC 
I was going to the VA hospital in Washington, um, that medical center, because the um, secretary said, this is my star hospital here, my blue ribbon hospital. I said, oh, oh yeah, uh, uh, okay, I'll do the uh, uh, registry. So I completed the registry and I went to get my registry information for the PACDAC. They can't find it. And so, you know, I don't think I'm alone that if you go back and look for your registry information, which is supposed to exist, you might not be able to find it. Right. And I'll tell you another thing that kind of pisses me off. Everybody was like, oh, make sure you file by August uh, the 14th or 16th, whatever it was. And, uh, you, you know, they'll back pay you all the way to that date. Mm-hmm. When it first, first packed out, came out. You could have filed in freaking August the 16th of this year or August the 10th of this year, and they back pay you a year. Well, shit, are they going to back pay any of us that's been filed for 20-something years? No. It, some people who have gotten before a F, they filed, they got denied, they went for an appeal and they asked for a hearing in front of a judge. Now, used to be in person, but now it's um, a Zoom meeting. And it's usually 24 months if you get granted before the judge. But I tell you, go before the judge because the judges are human. And the judges uh-huh. and the judges are for the vets. They're for the vets. They don't care what they, it's called, it's your quality of life. It's not uh, uh, whether you've been diagnosed for, for example, uh, um, chronic fatigue syndrome. There were so many people that were suffering with chronic fatigue syndrome that when I first met in the 90s, that's how they reacted. These lively up and, and going people, young and old, suddenly are too exhausted to stay awake. Uh, um, um, they they finish their work during the day. They don't even have the energy to drive home at night. Chronic fatigue syndrome. So I got in front of us getting involved in the study because the VA would not do an examination for chronic fatigue. DOD would not do an examination for, for chronic fatigue. So I had to go to a government study that was looking at people with chronic fatigue. And when I told them I was a veteran, they put me ahead of the line. And that's how I got it. Studies are still out there. So I tell people, if you have a symptom that's not being addressed, look at going to a study. Yes, you're going to have to drive a longer way. They will get cover your gas. Sometimes they do even cover housing for a day or two that you're doing the study. But once you get that documentation, it's not even so much for your primary care or your specialist uh, uh, where you live. It's for the adjudicator. And when the adjudicator sees that you have gone through a study, these unbiased people said you have these problems. You're more likely to win your uh, blame. Yeah. Well, now, so for chronic fatigue, and I've, I've stated this on this program before, for chronic fatigue, when I talked to my VA provider, she explained chronic fatigue is a diagnosis of exclusions. I said, okay. So she said, we don't have a rheumatologist 
for you. So we have to send you to a civilian one. Civilian one requested my paperwork and they said, we got nothing for you. I didn't even go to see him. I never visited one person. The doctor just said, this is what they said. And I don't, you know, so I never talked to a human being about the chronic fatigue. She goes, they can't do anything for you. So I didn't have to do anything. And that, and I'm, I'm rated at hell. I think I'm rated at that for like 60%. You know, Cause there's days I can't even keep my damn eyes open. You know, I struggle. So, I mean, it's a, it's a diagnosis of exclusions. I said, okay, so let's start going through the exclusions. And, and I didn't even have to do any of it, you know? Well, All they I, did was whoever, whoever, and I have no idea who it was that looked at my paperwork. This is some rheumatologist in Des Moines, Iowa. Well, I, I never, I never went to a rheumatologist. I, I got diagnosed by the neurologist with chronic, chronic fatigue. And, but the funny thing is, in my paperwork from the military, it says chronic fatigue. By the time I got, see, I started exhibiting the symptoms three months after Desert Storm. And, I mean, I could go in there and say, look, go back to 1992. And it's all in the paperwork from my doctor on my ship. My doctor on my ship, everything that I have that's covered under there was already covered. But they denied it all the way up until 2018. And and at least... um. Um, that was in your medical records because what the DOD did to me was they said, um, we don't e we don't even have specialty clinics, which was false because Walter Reed had specialty clinics on Gulf Orleans, but uh, um, First Army was telling me they didn't. So uh, the first uh, uh, five years uh, um, after Gulf War, while I was sick, they were sending me to the VA. I was still on active duty, but they sent me to the VA. Wow. Mm -hmm. And and for for me, you know, I, I, I want people who are not in the Gulf War or have never been in the Gulf War or, or civilians who are listening to the program, we're not whining. What we're telling y'all is, is this, this isn't a Gulf War illness. It isn't a Gulf War syndrome. This isn't a Gulf War side effects. To me, it's a Gulf War disease because they don't know what caused it. Oh, well, uh, no, take that back. Their asses know what caused it. They just won't tell us what caused it. And uh, they could have taken this. They could have taken everything that they knew and did it right then and there and started healing us. But they didn't. They held it from us. Um. Yeah. In medicine, uh, um, okay, we're going out of from from the United States to the Middle East. Uh, where is travel medicine? There are so many people, like leishmaniasis was one. You're not going to get it stateside and in most of our military bases around the world. You're going to get it in the Middle East. Your average specialist um, won't even know about it. That was something that physicians, even today, in travel medicine, they'll ask you, were you around someone that had malaria? Were you around someone that, that had dengue fever? They ask those questions. And we still have these problems um, that look like 
other illnesses, but it hasn't been ruled out through travel medicine. Why? DOD has never had travel medicine. They have infectious disease, but uh, um, they are rare out of uh, mm, uh, um, 200 um, uh, DOD facilities. You know, they only have like 25 infectious disease physician in practicing. They have a lot of them doing research, but they, that's all they have practicing. So veterans aren't even being asked the right questions because they're seeing the wrong specialists. I, I say we are um, OSHA accidents, occupational exposures. Um, that uh, covers, OSHA looks at us as an organism. Are we getting chemicals? Are we getting vaccines? Are we getting uh, what is in our food? Uh, what is in our uh, clothing? Um, um, uh, what are we touching? Occupational medicine looks at that, but still they have occupational medicine, OSHA uh, um, um, regulations didn't even come into the Department of Defense until 1995. So people don't, didn't know they could put in an occupational uh, uh, violation to today. They still keep that very quiet. But that does exist now. It didn't exist before then. Now, I have a question for y'all. And, and I, there, um, when my brain works, it goes 90 nothing. But the other day I was sitting there and I got done taking a shower. Got done. I got out. Y'all ever notice how oily your skin is? Um, That didn't happen to me, but to my battle buddy who's also a Gulf War advocate, he had more of the dermatological signs. He had oily skin. He had uh, uh, rashes. He would have bruises that come and go. So even though I didn't have it, I looked over at my battle buddy, who actually was taking care of me <laughs> um, as a medical assistant because Gulf War did not offer uh, medical assistance until just recently caretaking assistance. So we had to take care of each other. And I saw those those symptoms. And yes, they're still going on and he's still suffering with it. Yeah. I I I was noticing the other day because I was like, man, my face feels really oily. So I, I mean, but I, I I've always been kind of told, man, your face is really oily or your hair is really oily. And it's just I, I don't know. I mean maybe people out there that's listening could could answer yes or no on that. I I would like to know. I I think for for me, my biggest problem is that Bush knew it. His administration knew it. Clinton's knew it. Bush again. All, everybody knew it. Everybody out there knew that what we were suffering from, because the VA's got to be report. I mean, they've been studying over 600,000 of us veterans since 1995. And the, you know, the VA had to go to them and say, Hey, look, these guys here got this, 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 and this, but they just keep swept it under the rug, swept it under the rug. To me, why do you have to sweep something under the rug? I mean, it's out there now. Well, um, there's 
Uh, a lot of people used to say, we are the DOD's guinea pigs uh, weaponizing because DOD uh, um, research will weaponize anything, whether it's a bacteria, whether it's a bird or a dolphin, we'll weaponize it. So in, in weaponizing it, they know the impact on small animals, large animals, humans, and children. And um, what I keep going back to is that the Regal Report, um, it goes into so much detail on when, when Saddam was our friend, we opened up and we gave him all this material, thinking he would use it on somebody else. Okay, then uh, uh, when we went in there in the 90s, we're going like, we've got to destroy it before he starts using it uh, on our troops. So the accident, well, it's an accident. The misdirection is, um, whether it was chemical or biological agents, when we were trying to destroy places in the Middle East, the troops weren't wearing the proper protective material for what we were going up against. And DOD knew, the Regal Report knew of all these agents that we had given them. And we were strategically trying to take it out by air, by ground. Uh, what, what do you mean? Fire. What do you What do you mean, Venus? When you say Regal, because what Regal? What is Regal? Senator Regal, and nineteen. Senator Regal. Yes, Senator okay. Regal. Okay, that's what you mean by the Regal report, because I had no idea what you were referencing. He put in Gulf War uh, Senator Regal report. He had a huge hearing. Okay. And he's the only time that mentioned that um, 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 microplasma, which was the general bacteria for uh, um, pneumonia. Okay, but of course, DOD weaponized it. So we have microplasma incognitus, which means microplasma uh, of an unknown variety. It's a variety that's got a patent to it, okay? And the patent is owned by DOD. So we created this. This is just one agent. And we did not want Saddam using it on NATO forces. So our idea was to go blow it up and destroy it. But they didn't tell the people who were doing that how to protect themselves as they were uh, um, doing this. So that's why we had things in the air. We had things in the water. We had contaminations on the ground. We had, go back and look at, at, at what Rand said, our Rand Corporation, which is a think tank in Washington. And they study anything that, that the Pentagon the government says uh, um, is interesting. And they look at our um, chemical uh, um, suits, our mop suit, protective suits. And it was rated from the manufacturer to be effective for one attack or 48 hours, whichever came first. So if you were in that mob yeah, for more than we're 48 hours, that. it was no good. I was told to put the same mob suit on at least six times. Okay. Yeah. But it was, it, it, it had expired. It's protective. Uh, um, 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 materials in it had expired within the first 24 hours. 
Because okay. they didn't have replacements for them, just like they didn't have replacements for our masks and everything else. All right, right. Yes. And, and that's just when it. I, when I say the suit, I mean the mask. The filters in the mask was supposed to be changed. There's a rubber seal on the outside of the mask. That was supposed to be changed after 48 hours. The jackets, the boots, and the gloves was supposed to be re re replaced after 48 hours. I have not yet met anyone that had they might have come into country with two suits and usually they have to give up the first one to someone else who didn't even have one. So I have not tell you what those, all these years, anyone who had a second uh, suit. And, and those boots were just absolutely ridiculous. You, why didn't they just give us regular, but they made them, it was ridiculous, absolutely insane. Those boots, you know, you know, no more than a plastic rubber boot with some flaps on the bottom that you tie it up above. I'm like, who idiot came up with that ingenious? We didn't get that. Huh? We didn't get that. It, it was, it was, it was, you didn't get it, that? It, it was the full suit. You should have gotten that. No, I, I remember putting it on and I, I remember, well, how in the hell is this going to cover up my feet? That I remember. Maybe I should say that, that I remember. But I will tell you this. I remember doing a few saltwater washdowns. While mm -hmm. our ships had sprinkler systems, and they do a, a freshwater washdown, saltwater washdown. Mm -hmm. And I used, and that was why we we're out there. I used to think that's weird. Why? And uh, it's not because you want to keep the ship clean. Shit, we were a supply ship. We we're going to get supplies on the next day. It's going to look like crap anyway. Uh, so I wonder maybe if that had something to do with it. Like they were like, you know, let's maybe wash down the ship after alarms went 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 off. Let's don't scare the guys. Let's wait a day. You know, let them run their fingers on the handrails while that shit's in out there and rub it on our heads. Yeah. You, well, you weren't gonna get a you weren't gonna get away from. Me. I just you know she was talking about the suits and like she said they didn't have replacements. I don't I don't ever remember. You know, seeing replacements. I mean, everybody knows that anybody that was in the, the masks and the 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 the, uh, the uh, filters for the masks were just ridiculously difficult to get in and out. And now I guess they just they're a screw in type. But back then it took you it was a pain in the ass to change them out. You know, we'd have to prove that we could change them out, and it was like a my yeah, did, um, did, did it was all kinds of mess. Did y'all have to go through the classes of what? different agents were out there blister agent nerve agent yeah. and okay yes i remember I, I remember remember but probably yeah i remember going through that and i remember oh my god the one thing for sure i didn't want the blister agent that's for damn sure but the one thing i remember going through a mine class and how to spot a mine how many mines were out there my biggest thing was is shit i ain't scared of that floating mine I'm scared of the ones that's under the water that go with vibration and, and, and everything. I was like, I remember going through That's what made me go, I want to be on a minesweeper. Oh. But, yeah. You wanted to be on I, a minesweeper? That's oh. what I wanted, but they wouldn't give it to me, so I got out. Man, I wanted oh. to scoop up mines. I wanted to learn to take them apart. I was very fascinated with, with mines. No, mm -hmm. no. Uh, we were, the, you know, being an engineers, we were going to push come to shove. We were going to have to, you know, go along and 
my physically minesweep, you know, like dig form via your hand. And I remember I said that that actually was kind of the least of my worries. I, you know, and I think I say it at least once every three or four times on here. My biggest concern was chemicals, and here we are. Right. You know, well, uh, I mean, that was my number one concern. Well, John, you could easily say, wait a second, you don't want to go to Army or Marines because you didn't want to get shot at, but you want to go play with these big ass mines and take them apart <laughs> and learn about them. Oh, oh, yeah, well, because yeah. if they go <laughs> boom, that's it. It's yeah. all over. Yeah. That's like going yeah, airborne. Yeah, <laughs> Things are making well, you go. I mean, you know, Wade, <laughs> yeah, Wade, Wade loves, I mean, Wade was talking, you know, about the airborne thing. I've never jumped out of a perfectly good airplane. But, uh, you know, to, kudos to those guys, just like a dope on a rope flying, you know, jumping out of a out of a helicopter on a rope. That was something I, I, I would have been interested in. Of course, it's not. Some might argue the point, well, it's no more near as glorious as jumping out of an aircraft. And I mean, but nonetheless, some people are just after the tab. I'm, oh, it looks good on my uniform. You know, I'm telling uh, I'm you right now, all, so don't get bent out of shape. If I don't want it. anything dangerous on any uniform. Nothing dangerous. Oh, 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 yeah. I don't want to be wearing you are you are in the uniforms so of Kevin is already dangerous because you're wearing military uniforms. Well, <laughs> I mean, right, but I mean I, I didn't care about having a, a patch on my side. I mean, we didn't wear patches like that, but but I I didn't, you know, like everybody's like, have you ever been on a sub? No. Hell no. Mm -hmm. You know, if they would have put my ass on a sub, my ass would have been out real quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I no, mean, no interest in going under the water. No, hell no. Why the hell do I want? I, I would have been one of the ones who had to drive that thing. They, they would have been right full rudder. I would have went left, and my ass would have <laughs> hit a rock. I mean, I'm just saying. I mean, I'm just. That's how you know. Sometimes I remember them going right full rudder, and I'd spin the wheel to the left, and they're like, "Right, Simon. Oh shit, right." And I go <laughs> back right. And so, uh, you know, I other right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that is I wanted to, I wanted to reach out to, um, I'm still trying to catch up with people who have been in the 85th evac because there was one night on the, um, Saudi, um, um, Kuwaiti border when, um, um, that's where the 85th evac was. And, I was further up in Kuwait and we had, I didn't know a chemical alarm had gone off. Um, I had been listening to the radio. I heard some chatter of, of movement and um, um, now I'm sergeant of the guard and we're walking around this uh, um, civilian compound where we had troops living and I had never had any breathing problems. And I started to feel like I was having an asthma heart attack. So, um, of course, you know, you, they get you all wired up. If, if you're the senior NCO, you don't want to go in sick call. Well, I didn't want to go in sick call, but then I collapsed. So they ended up, I ended up in 85th evac. And when I woke up, this evacuation hospital was full. They were busy. They're going like, What's going on out there? Why is it that we having all these people in tonight with breathing problems? So they just treated me as if I had asthma, which I never had before. And they treated everybody for that. And then 
as soon as they got on their feet, they went back out to work. Okay, I went back to my assignment then. Um, did you hear about uh, um, the National Guardsmen in Pennsylvania at, at their barracks that got hit by a scud? Okay, um, no. this is back in January. It's one of the few Saudi scuds that actually hit anything. There were a lot of them that fell different places, but this one actually hit a barracks. And um, we had a lot of troops coming in and um, I had seen them going in and out. And some of them wanted to come into my building and I'm going like, nope, it's the end of my shift. I'm going out for a cigarette. <laughs> and um, nope, you can't stay here. So I sent them to this other barracks just down the street. And I, oh, if I only knew what was going to happen at this barracks. So I went down to the second barracks where the Pennsylvania troops were. And I was about to walk in there because uh, I, I was looking for some cigarettes. And something said, nope, don't do that yet. And I loitered outside the building. And then I heard a whistle. I saw the flash. And I was knocked. And I kind of did like a radar thing. Uh, um, as I heard the whistle, I started to mask. So I wasn't going in the building because I'm putting on the mask. By the time I, I could count to 10 to turn around to go towards the building, the building is exploding. Wow. So the building's exploding. It's on fire. I see troops coming out. I had been knocked off my feet for a moment or two. Or three. But anyhow, when I came back up, um, I had prescription inserts in my mask. One popped out, one shattered. <laughs> so you were useless. So I ripped the mask off. And then I went back to, even though I'm supposed to be paralegal, you just don't stop being a medic just because they train you to be a paralegal. I went in, I started bringing people out of the building. Uh, uh, um, um, people uh, were still smoking. So um, I was doing that for the rest of the night. Uh, other uh, um, troops in the area came and they were carrying them to the, the closest evac hospitals. And... Um, then I ended up at, at 85th EVAC because at this time, instead of a patient, uh, I worked as a medic for the next uh, um, 24, 32 hours after the event. And a doctor looked at me and said, you're still on your feet? And I said, yes, it was mostly shock, but they needed the hands. And um, um, then after he said, no. You're too tired. Go home. Go home. I mean, I wish I could go back to your <laughs> own. I went back to my, my my legal unit, and they're going like, "We're looking for you. We knew you were in the area. We thought you were dead. <laughs> Where were you? You probably ran away and hid." I don't know why they said that. I said, "I'm a girl from New York City. I did not run away and hide. I was working at the Evac Hospital." And they're going like, "Oh yeah, sure." And they just let you go home. So they were saying, um, we're going to have to write this up. I'm going like, I've never been written up for anything in my life. And I said, I'm not going to be the JAG, getting written up by JAG. So I went back to the hospital and I found the doctor who dismissed me. And 
uh, getting back and forth. It's still like an hour finding transportation. And um, I got him things that slowed down. And I told him what my legal unit was saying, you know, that I was missing. And um, he said, no, I'm not even going to stand for that. So uh, Dr. Marshall came back with me to my unit. And he went uh, 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 um, back to my, my lawyer's office. And he said, step outside. And then I could hear him. Uh, um, they were two lieutenant colonels. So they're, they're E6s, O6s. And he formed a new asshole and uh, came out. And then I got called into the room. And he said, I'm sorry I said that uh, about your behavior. He says, I'll, I'll write your bronze star when you get home. And so I didn't realize how long it was. It was so long that I was missing that I was on my feet and working. And my legal unit had done a walk around looking for me. They didn't find me because I was now at, at the VAC hospital. I wasn't in the burnt building. They were really grateful about that. But they called my home in America, in Boston. Okay. On CNN, it's on the news. A Barracks blew up, uh, 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 guardsmen have been injured, and other uh, troops in the area. Because um, when I heard that, I said, you called home. So I called my home. My family, they're all in tears. They're a wreck. They thought because my unit was calling me then, calling to find out they had heard from me that I was dead. That's crazy. I'll, I'll never forgive that. My, my my family was traumatized by that. I, I want to tell you it was what. Better not knowing than to get a call saying, "Have you heard from her?" Because we don't know where she is. <laughs> oh yeah, she just called us from the middle of Iraq. You know, after the bombings went off. What kind of crap is that? Well, you know, we're coming up to the end of the program. Venus, thank you for coming back on. It, it is definitely a pleasure meeting you and talking with you, and John. Always a pleasure looking at your good-looking bald head over there. <laughs> Baldy. Yeah. But, Venice, thank you for coming on the program. I'm going to thank everybody for listening. And, you know, y'all have a great night. God bless. Yes. Come back. I want to hear everyone's stories. Thank you for listening to Go For Side Effects. If you have a story or you would like to share or just come on with any comments or questions, Please email me at kevinsimon at goforsideeffects.com.